This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Guys, long weekend. How are we going? Feeling good? Tomorrow off? Come on, we can feel a bit better? There we go. Guys, welcome. My name is James, like Keith said. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. I have the absolute privilege of opening up God's Word for us over the next little while. Um, but before I do that, I just want to, off the back of what Keith said about Alpha, I just want to encourage you guys to be either coming along or inviting your friends along. Alpha, like, I've been a Christian for 11 years, and I did Alpha for the first time. I think my gospel community, um, we did it last year, and man, I found it refreshing for my soul, right? Like, I've been to Bible college, I've, I've gone through my journey of asking a lot of questions, I will be asking questions for the rest of my life, um, but it's just good. Alpha is it's good and it's one of the best courses for those who have questions or who are exploring faith that I've ever seen. And I've done a lot of courses, right? I've done a lot. I've seen it all. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys, if you have friends in your life who you know are searching, who have questions, just, just take the step of faith. Send them a text message. Hey, my church is running this course. It's really good. Hey, why don't you, why don't you come along? And they come along, they don't like it after the first one, that's fine. My feelings won't be hurt, and they can not come back <laughs> if they don't want to. Um, but I just want to encourage you guys. So tomorrow night, 7.30, Alpha, online. Um, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. Actually, kind of does, but I'm going to pray, and then we'll get stuck into it. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. Father, thank you that it's living and active. Thank you that it shapes us and changes us, that it, we can hear passages maybe we've heard for a hundred times before, maybe for the first time, but yet it still changes us. Father, I pray today that you give us ears to hear, give us hearts to be shaped. Father, we pray that we don't leave here the same people we came in as, but that you make us more and more like Jesus. Father, make me less now so I can make you more. I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, I don't know if you were to look back at kind of the, the sweep of your life. If you were to like kind of put your, your reflective cap on and look back over your life, what would be a moment of glory that would stand out to you? One for me is, I'll take you back to, it's, it, it's kind of late 2000s. I was about 15, 16 at the time. I think I was in year nine. And I was playing football, soccer, but it's called football, for... Don't ask that some people here, but it's called football. Um, I was playing for a local team. So me and my friends, we kind of bounced around teams for a long time, and we, we found this really small team. It was called Gawley Bay Football Club. We wore purple jerseys. I should have got a photo, but it was like these really, they're pretty rad actually, but these really cool, like very vibrant purple jerseys. Um, really small, unknown team, this kind of big comp. In the Southern Shire comp where I'm from, it's like one of the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere for, for soccer. It's huge. And we joined this small team with one goal. We wanted to see them win the premiership in that age group. So me and my friends joined. They had never, they'd never held that trophy before. They never tasted the sweet nectar of victory and defeating those people they just wanted to defeat. And there was one team who had held onto it for so long. Like there was like this, this stacked team who should have been in reps, but they weren't because I don't know what their goal was, ego. But I feel like I'm getting a lot of Pass hurt out in his sermon at the moment. Um, but, so we, we, we climbed through the ranks, we, we fought our way up, and we got to the grand final. 
And it was like, I look back on it now, and it was like, remember the Titans, who have seen that movie, right? It was just like a movie would be made about this, this, um, this comp that we're in. And it was this contentious, in my head it was like raining and storms, I think it was like a sunny day. And like, I felt like it was like 10,000 people there, but it was really like our parents and some fans, I mean our friends, um, who came along to, to watch us play. But it was contentious, and it was this, like I still remember the moment that the final whistle went, and we were up by one. And just the feeling of victory, just the glory, this, this ragtag bunch of friends who joined this team and just went from the bottom to the top as underdogs. I just remember the, the moment of glory that I felt that we did it. I thought everyone was on our side, the, the cheers, the celebration. I remember to this day, my parents still have like my little trophy in their house. It's like, at the time, I was like, this is a massive trophy. It's like a few centimetres tall, but it was big. And it was this kind of big moment for glory. But if I was to ask you, what was your moment of glory? Like, if you were to look back at your life, <clears throat> what, would, what would be the, the moment there was this little glimpse of glory in your life? Maybe it's something that was, it's, it's framed and hung up on your wall. Maybe it's like a, a photo of you finishing a marathon or a swimming race. Maybe it's your degree that you've earned. You look at it and it takes you back to the graduation where you're like, all the blood, sweat and tears of studying, got, like, you did it, you got there. Maybe it's a photo of you meeting someone you admire, a signed photo. Maybe it's a photo of your family or a photo of your wedding day. Like some sort of, of moment where you, you tasted glory that you felt at the center, even just for the briefest of moments, and it's a bit intangible, glory, isn't it? Like, as I was writing this sermon, I was like, what even is glory? It's how, do you, how do you quantify glory? And I came up with it. It's, it's the honor or praise or the recognition of something deserving. And I thought to myself, like, if God had a moment that he hung on his wall, like, if God had a moment of glory that, that kind of sat on the centerpiece, what do you think it would be? God, God, you read the Bible, like, there's a lot of things in there. A lot of big moments. But what would be that one moment that, just, that, that hung on the wall, that would be displayed? And we see in today's passage, that's the cross. It's, it's the cross that is a moment where God is most glorified. And for some of us here, that's not the place we jump to straight away. Like, really? The cross? Like, and say so we see in, in the hideous, in the gruesomeness, in the, in the suffering of the cross, that God's glory is most displayed, that it's most clearly seen to the world. And it's, fully, it's most fully realized. And in, in today's passage, we'll say two things. If you're into taking notes, which I'm a big fan, hear the points for you. We see the reality of God's glory, and we see the reality of eternal life. So two things we're looking at today. And I just want to kind of start by just reorientating ourselves around what we've looked at so far, because we're coming to the end of our series in the upper room. We're on the home stretch. 
And we, we've started the journey, sorry, the upper room for those of us who maybe are visiting for the first time. It's kind of end of the, the Gospel of John towards the end of Jesus' life. So he's been going around doing all this public ministry for three years. He's been showing people glimpses of the, the, the kingdom that is to come by healing people. There's interactions and encounters with people. We see God's goodness and his glory. And he's been going around this kind of this small section of the Middle East, preaching of the coming kingdom. And here we come to the kind of end. He's, he's just been up in the upper room with his, his closest disciples, his closest friends, people who are going to betray him not too far away from now. He's up there with them. He's teaching them. He's breaking bread with them. He's ministering to them. And now he's on the way to what they think is the garden where he's going to be arrested. And I think in this kind of moment of him, he knows what's coming. He's going from this house, his upper room, to the garden. And what's he do? He stops to pray. In the 11th hour, what is the darkest hour of his life? He stops and he prays. And we see Jesus starts his prayer. Um, look at verse 1 with me. It says this. It says, after, uh, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Even in this first sentence, there is so much there. Jesus starts by making this profound statement. I'm not sure if you noticed it. He starts by saying, Father. I'm not sure if you are anything like me. You, you know, obviously, that the, the Queen of England, or sorry, the Queen of the United Kingdom, um, passed away recently. So about a month ago, she died after 70 years on the throne. Um, and I'm someone who's a lover of history, and I also love to show the crown. So they married each other that day. And I was all in on the kind of 10-day process of when she died to the funeral. Like, I was there, right? I, I wish I could have been there, literally. But I was watching it late at night. I, I stayed up late to watch, like, the kind of proclamation of the king the next day after she passed away. I was, Bray and I watched the, my wife, watched the kind of the whole funeral service. And I found out that day that I'm a fan of bagpipes, right? <laughs> we'll never have picked that, but I am. It does something to my soul. So if anyone here knows bagpipes, please hit me up. But the big thing that stood out to me, out of all the kind of pop and ceremony, out of all the, the kind of the history around it, was when the new king, King Charles III, did his first speech as a sovereign. I don't know if anyone watched it, but the thing that stood out to me most about that, like he said a lot of things, but was he called the queen mummy or mama. He did it twice, I think. He's done it a few times. And I heard that and I was like, I was like, what? That's a bit weird, right? There's something weird about hearing someone publicly say mummy. I don't know if it's just me, but you'll never hear me say that in a sermon. I kind of just threw me off a little bit. I was like, that's, that's strange. On top of that, like this is the queen, of, like the queen of the UK. She's been a big deal for 70 years. She's met prime ministers, presidents, kings, popes. She's, she's met them all. People have, they, they seek an audience with her just to get some of that kind of soft power that she has. And yet here's someone calling her Mummy. I, I, was, I was like, this is a bit, is it disrespectful? This is a bit weird. The, the head of state, someone who's been ruling for 70 years, but yet here is her son. He, he might be the king, but he's her son. That's his mum. And he's using the kind of affectionate name that one calls their mum. 
It could be weird that the prime minister did it or one of her advisors did it. But his family, like he, he shows a depth of their relationship with one word. We see here that Jesus does the same thing. Jesus starts his prayer by saying, Father, which means, you might have heard this before, it means Abba or, or Daddy in the original language. It's a child's address to a parent. It's, the kind of, it's affectionate, it's intimate. It's one, it's, in one word, it reveals so much about the relationship between Jesus and the Father. And the same way that Jesus uses it here, he teaches us to use it. Us, followers of Jesus. Because through Jesus, we have the same kind of access that Jesus has to the Father. We have the same relationship. And, and, and for so many of us here today, the word dad, it brings up like a myriad of emotions. For some of us, it's really hard to hear. For some of us, it's really hard to say. For some of us, it's, it's emotions of great joy. For some of us, it brings up kind of being homesick. You, you miss your dad. For some of us, grief of loss, unimaginable hurt. Like it brings up maybe anger for some of us or confusion. But even in this first sentence, Jesus shows us the foundation of the relationship he has with the Father. That he's his dad, he's our dad. He's not some kind of distant ruler, but he's a father who loves us, who knows us. And he, wants to, he actually wants to spend eternal life with you. Like it's not a chore for him. He's looking forward to it. But God doesn't just tolerate you or love you or the kind of future version of you. He's like, okay, one day, that's the James I'll love. You know, like 20 years down the line, you might be stuffed together a bit more. That's when I love James. He loves me now. I can stand here before you guys today loved because of Jesus. One of the great Christian thinkers of the last century, a guy named J.I. Packer, who is an absolute legend, he sums up the kind of idea of God being our father in this way. I'm just going to read a quote out to you guys. Just, just let it soak into your soul. It's very theologian-y, very wordy, but it's gold. He goes, you can sum up the whole of the New Testament religion, if you describe it as a knowledge as, of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the, uh, a thought that prompts and controls his worship or her worship and prayers and his or her whole outlook on life, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, everything that makes it distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is a Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. This is what makes Christianity, well, there's a lot of things, but so distinct among so many world religions that we get to call God Father. We have a personal relationship with him. He loves us. He knows us. He cares about us. And it's not like, oh, does God love me today? Let me just, hopefully today he does. That this is what makes Christianity, for me, beautiful. It's one of the big things, that God is our Father. Another thing that you notice as Jesus starts his prayers, that he says, the hour has come. And this is a big deal that Jesus is saying this. Again, if you know, if you've been journeying with us over the past couple of months, 
throughout John, Jesus says multiple times, the hour's not yet come. Throughout his ministry, people are like, is this it? Is this it? He's like, no, no, not yet, not yet. Hasn't come yet, hasn't come yet. Think about it like, oh, this is what I think about it, it's classic, but any Marvel fans here? A few of us? Yeah. I know you all are. It's kind of like the kind of, and if you're not, this will make no sense, I'm so sorry. It's kind of like the, the Infinity Saga, right? So like kind of leading up to like the big movie Endgame, you've heard of it, made billions of dollars. Like there's like little things throughout all the movies where it's like there's something coming, you know what I mean? There's something big coming, you know, there's a big guy out there or there's a big battle that's going to happen. Like there's all these like illusions throughout. This is what Jesus is doing when he's like, the hour's not yet come, the hour's not yet come. So it's kind of post credit scene, little teaser. And he gets this moment. He goes, it's here. The hour has come. The moment we've been waiting for. For many of them, for generations and generations. They've been waiting for this promised saviour, this person to come. They feel that angst in the world. They feel that things, aren't, that things are broken, that need fixing, that only a saviour can do this. And here's Jesus and he says, the moment that salvation history has been building up towards, it's about to take place, which is the glorification of God. And that's where we see the, the reality of glory. Verse 1 says, the, the Father, sorry, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that he may glorify you. And then if you look down to verses 4 and 5, it says, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you've gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had bef- with you before the world began. The glory that Jesus is speaking of here, is, it's not some kind of earthly glory, but it, it's his death on the cross. We think of, of kings being glorified in this kind of pomp and ceremony. We think that, yeah, there's massive coronations where the, the king is crowned and enthroned on this kind of big ornate throne in front of all these like, important people and you know, I mean, all the people that make kind of the world work. But the moment in history that God is most glorified, the centerpiece of history, is at the cross. Jesus didn't have this kind of beautiful, kind of royal jewels placed on his hands, they were pierced with nails. Jesus didn't have kind of fans or important people praising him as he, he got up, but he was mocked and beaten. Jesus didn't have like, these kind of crown jewels placed on his head. He had a crown of thorns and a sign that, that mocked him, saying, King of the Jews. Jesus was lifted up, not onto this kind of ornate throne, but onto a piece of wood, this kind of rugged piece of wood that was in the shape of a cross. The moment that Jesus is enthroned is on the cross on a hill outside Jerusalem in 33 AD. A nondescript hill, no fanfare apart from people wanting to kind of eliminate him. And if you've, been for a church, uh, if you've been to church for a while or been a part of a church for a while, it's easy to become numb to this. Like it's easy to become numb to the glory of the cross because we hear it so much. It's easy not to be surprised. It's, it's easy just to kind of gloss over it. But yeah, I've heard this, you know what I mean? I get it, I get it. But it is astonishing what Jesus did for us. That the instrument of excruciating pain, of inhumane death, is also the symbol of, of God's glory and grace. Those who would witness Jesus' death a couple of days later wouldn't see, like from his prayer now, those who would see it a couple of days later, they wouldn't see glory. They looked and they saw failure. 
they, they looked at it and saw uh, a brutal, violent, and shameful death. <clears throat> like they looked at it and saw a waste. Like, oh, we've, we gave our whole lives to this. Like they didn't see glory. And the, the cross doesn't kind of match humanity's view of glory. Even in 2022, we think of kind of great achievement, something that gives us recognition. Like when we think of glory, we think of the big moments, like I mentioned, like winning a soccer grand final when I was 16. We think of something beautiful, like, you know, a beautiful sunset. That's glorious. People use that language. The sunset's so glorious today. People get their phone out and cram it, and you see like 14 different photos of the same sunset. I saw my eyes, you know, to show me, right? But there is something glorious and beautiful in it. We see God's glory in creation. We see God's glory in the world around us. But Jesus is saying here that God's glory isn't just a sunset. He's saying it isn't just this kind of fleeting moment, but it's this eternal, significant moment, which is the cross, where Jesus died. That's where God's supreme glory is seen. And it's not that Jesus suffers and then he's glorified later when he is risen from the grave. But Jesus is glorified in that moment. It's in his suffering that he's glorified. In that moment where he's on the cross dying, he is being enthroned and most glorified. And it's not this kind of, like you hear that and you think, is this a, a kind of self-centered, like look at me type thing? Like God wants to bring glory to himself through Jesus. Like is this just a, hey guys, I'm so important, look at me, which is completely fair because it's God. But the glory is that Jesus is seeking glory of the Father, the Son and the Father, because their glory is always linked. They're God. God is bringing glory to himself through Jesus. Where our glory is often self-serving, like we're often trying to, you know, fill the void of validation that we might, might not have, or like we, we want the kind of, what the endorphins of, of people praising us and the glory that we get, which, which isn't always bad. But God's not looking for the approval of us. Like Jesus is purely about the glory of the Father. That, that's what he came to do. And we're caught up in that. Um, as humans, we, we kind of get that, right? We kind of get this shared glory. Like throughout life, we kind of get these kind of glimpses of where glory is shared between people. Uh, a story that I have is, is six years ago, to this day, I think, actually, because it's grand final tonight. Um, I was partially at a church in Cronulla at the time, and it was the year that the Sharks were in the grand final. I just want to say straight out of the gate, I know nothing about NRL, right? I am not an NRL fan. I know about the Sharks and some other teams, um, but, like, I don't, I'm not that excited about tonight, so don't hate on me. But I'm, I'm happy for you guys. I'm so happy for you guys. But I was caught up in the Sharks grand final, right? I was all in. I remember when I got told that there's a chance of in the grand final, I became their biggest fan. I was telling oh, I've been following for years, you know what I mean? Like, I was all in. Um, and, I was, like I said, I was partially at a church in Cronulla at the time. And we met at 4 p.m. on a Sunday. And the game was, like, people had started pre-gaming for the game long before and we had finished our service. This is a true story. We finished our service, and some guy came in with a case of VB off the street into the church foyer, like a full case, and he was just giving them out to people, like cases of VB. He was pumped. Like, it was crazy, because like, I, I lived near the main strip of Cronulla as well. And when they won, people were out there partying until like 3 a.m., because the team was coming back, and people wanted, to get, people wanted to share in the glory. People were saying these things like, we did this, like they were out in the field that day when they were watching the TV. But there's this kind of shared glory that happens. 
We'll see it tonight. People are all they're all in this together type of thing. Like I saw like grisly old men who would try and convince me they didn't have tear ducts weeping because they've been waiting for this day. The whole of Cronulla and the Southern Shire was just all in on this kind of shared glory that was taking place. And the sort of shared glory we see around us is the same as what's happening. Jesus, he's, he's wanting to share in the glory of God. He's, he's bringing glory to the Father. And it's the result of Jesus' death. It's not this kind of accidental glory where, you know, and the Father's just caught up in it. Like, this is what Jesus came to do. And we see that in verse 4. And it says, that The Father sends his Son, and the Son does the work of the Father. And as Jesus is glorified, so too is the Father. It's this, this shared glory. And this just flow and shape our lives. Like, you know, about James, you're really emphasizing this glory thing. Because it's a big deal. And this isn't just like a thing that we kind of observe and just thank God for. Like, this should shape us. It should change us. Firstly, it should shape us in a way that we pray. Like we see here how Jesus prays. The, the, the centerpiece of his prayer isn't about himself. It's not about, you know, listing a shopping list of things he wants. Like he, his prayer is centered on God's glory. That's even in his darkest hour. Like let's say, I think of it for us. Like say you're applying for a job or you're applying for a promotion at work. Like it's easy for us to, to pray, or easy for me to pray, like, Lord, it would be so good if I could get this promotion. Like, I'd have so much more influence over people. Like, I'd have money for your kingdom, which is, like, would be true. I would get so much more respect. I could do really great things, all that type of stuff. Like so often our prayers are kind of shaped like that, but would we be willing to pray this? Lord, glorify yourself through this, whether that's raising me up, Give me the promotion or having me stay where I am. Father, help me work for you for your glory. The, the ultimate concern of our prayers should be the glory of God. The ultimate concern of what we want in this life should be to bring God glory. It doesn't mean we don't ask for things, doesn't mean we don't have ambition, but the thing that should drive that isn't our own self glorification but for us to bring glory to our Father, to the Son, to the Spirit. Uh, the second way to shape our lives is how we live our lives, how we, how we go about our lives. Like our lives are instruments in which we can worship and glorify God. Like our whole life is a, a form of worship. We should be concerned that in everything that we do, we're seeking to bring God glory, whether that's how we conduct ourselves at work or on the sporting field or in the home when no one's around, online, in the gym, in our friendships, our relationships, how we use words, not just what we say, but how we use them. It should shape how we speak. It should shape how we spend our money, where we invest our time, what we consume, and how we seek to live in, in obedience to God's word, not kind of picking and choosing parts of the Bible that best suit our lifestyle and then kind of forgetting the rest of it, but submitting our whole lives to being obedient to God. Because through being obedient to God, we bring glory to Him. It's through obedience that our lives are cities on a hill that point people to the glory of the Father. And the reason we do all these things is because we've been transformed by this love. 
We've been, tra- been transformed by the Father who loves us. Like we've tasted the beauty and the glory of his grace. <clears throat> and we get to call him dad. And we get to call him dad. You can pray that. You can pray dad. You might feel weird, but you can do it. And our deep desire is to want to glorify him in everything because he's worthy. He's worthy of everything. We want to see his name glorified above all things. We want to, to live lives that, people, uh, that point people to our father. I once heard someone say a few years ago, the way they talk about God, God with their friends who don't yet know him, they go, hey, can I, I, I want to introduce you to my dad. And so it's like kind of bait and switch where it's like, I want to introduce my dad. But it's like, a, hey, like, I want to introduce my heavenly father. I want you to meet him. I want you to know him. Not this distant God. He's our father. Because the reality is we're going to glorify him for all eternity. That's what eternity is going to be all about. That's what glory is going to be all about. It's going to be glorifying the Father. Which leads us to the kind of last point that we have is the reality of eternal life. Look back at verse 2 and verse 3 with me. For you granted him authority over all, oh, sorry, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In verse 3, Jesus gives us a, a kind of definition of eternal life, which is to know God. Something that has grown in prominence over kind of past couple of decades with the rise of social media is the kind of, and, and reality TV as well, I just want to bash on social media, is the fact that the, the, we have the world's information at our fingertips. We have it all there. We have our phones. You can, like, if you were to pull out your phone, like 50 years ago, half a century ago, they would have resurrected the witch-burning laws. So, like, what is this magic? And now we have it all at our fingertips. We have everything. And with social media, we can know people that we think we know but we don't actually know. Like, put your hand up. And this is a safe space. I just want to start by saying that. This is a safe space. Put your hand up if you've ever gone, gone deep on someone's social media page. Right? I have. Don't be honest. You've gone back at least a year, two years. Yeah, few hands. I know more of you've done it. We've all done it, right? We've gone down the rabbit hole. You've, you've got your phone out. You've, oh, you've seen Instagram. You've seen someone's tired and something. You're like, I haven't seen that person in years. And you click on their page. And then 20 minutes later, you're like looking at their trip from Germany five years ago. And <laughs> you realize you're in deep. And you're really scared you're going to like their photo or something. You're like, it's, if I like a box, then what's going to happen? But... It creates this kind of environment that we're in where it creates this idea that we can know someone without actually knowing them. <coughs> Excuse me. Like we can, it creates this kind of intimacy, this, this idea that isn't actually there. That we have this relationship that we don't actually have. This, this friendship that's not actually there. Yet. Maybe you haven't spoken to them for those five years. Like they, we really don't know them. They don't know us. But we know a lot about them. Like we've gone to their LinkedIn, we've been on their page, we've been on their Instagram. And the truth is, it's really easy for us to do this with Jesus. It's easy for us to know a lot about facts about him. You know what I mean? Like we, we know the stats. We know where he was born. We know who his parents were. We know what he did for work. We know what his parents did for work. <coughs> Excuse me. We know what he liked to eat. But we don't actually know him. And we don't have that relationship with him. Like, the, the way of Jesus has, has no real bearing on our lives. When Jesus is talking about knowing here, 
It's talking more about knowing facts and knowing knowledge about God. It's talking about having a relationship with Him. It's talking about actually knowing Him and knowing what He's like through His Word. It's more than just kind of intellectual acceptance of the core beliefs of Christianity. Because that isn't, isn't the same as following Jesus. Like intellectual assent, it doesn't equal faith. And Jesus is saying here that eternal life isn't just this kind of intellectual assent, but it, it's knowing. It's, it's a relational sense of knowing. It's having a relationship with him. It's because it's the same way that Jesus knows the Father. To know Jesus is, is to abide in him. And we, we heard that several weeks back. It's to trust in him. It's, it's to walk in faith with him as imperfect as we do that, right? Because we don't do it perfectly. And we won't until Jesus comes back. It's, it's bringing our sin to him and seeking to glorify him in every sphere of our life. It's bringing our sin and failure to him because we know we have forgiveness. He, he looks at us and he doesn't see our sin and failure, but because of Jesus, he looks at us and he sees his children who he loves. It's not about viewing Jesus as kind of this add-on to our life where it's like, okay, Jesus is someone that I care about and have a relationship with on, on Wednesday nights when it's GC or Sundays or, you know I mean, his life insurance. I pull him out when like life's really hard and that's when I'll follow Jesus. <coughs> like it's to, to know God, to know the, the God of the universe in a relational sense. It is the greatest thing on earth. It is the greatest privilege that we have. And when we minimize following Jesus to kind of merely knowing facts about him or make him this kind of add-on to our life, we, we, we miss the gospel and we rob ourselves of the ultimate joy and the grace that we can experience in him. Like when we know Jesus, we have to come to him as we are. Like we don't have to airbrush our lives. We don't have to kind of have the best VSEO filter that we can possibly have in our lives so God then will accept us. God loves and knows us and we're invited into have a relationship with him. We have eternal life with him. Because the reality of eternity is we're going to be glorifying God forever, all eternity with him until there's no end. That's, don't think about it too much because it's crazy to think about. There's no end. It just keeps going and going and going and going. And that's what we're doing. We're we'll we'll praising his name for all eternity. And we kind of get a little image of that in Revelation 4 and 5. We see this kind of glimpse of this eternal throne room where God is reigning. And there's all these like living beings around him, all the people in the kind of heavenly realm. And they're there just saying to Jesus and glorifying his name, saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Like we're, we're going to spend all eternity marveling at the cross, praising Him and glorifying Him. Like eternal life isn't so much about us as it is about Jesus and glorifying His name. And the thing is, eternal life doesn't start when Jesus comes back or when we die. It, it started at the cross. It starts when we follow Jesus, when we, when we seek to to practice the way of Jesus and love Him and have a relationship with Him. That's where it starts. And we're invited 
you're invited to share in that glory today, to bring glory to him today. If you're here today and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, like we're invited to, to marvel at the beauty of what he did for us on the cross. Not just kind of gloss over it and forget about it and think I've heard that before, but we're, we're called to sit in it forever and praise him. And it should flow into every aspect of our lives. The idea that he is king who was enthroned on the cross and all glory be to him. Like I said earlier, it should shape our prayers. It should shape our lives. And you're here today and you're not yet following Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've got questions. Maybe you're here and you heard something in this passage that stood out to you and you think maybe there's something about this. I just want to invite you guys, I just want to invite you to just take that step. Look who, who Jesus is in this book. Just, just give it a shot. Because we have the great privilege of being his children, being known by him, and being able to bring glory to him. It's not just about knowing facts about him or, or knowing what, like, hey, culture says this about this Jesus but it's actually looking for yourself to really know what he's like, to know who he is and to to come to him as you are and to find eternal life. I'm going to pray for that now. I'm going to pray that we can do that because we need need God's strength. We've got to live to glorify him. But I'm also going to pray for those of us here today who who maybe we want to take that step. So I'm going to bow your heads, close your eyes, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Father, thank you that 2,000 odd years ago, he was enthroned on that cross for us. The world looks at that and sees a waste and a failure, but we, we know that that's the moment that Jesus took our sin upon himself. Father, you know, he rose from the grave and he, he showed us that sin is defeated, death is defeated. Father, I pray for the, like, all of us here today that the cross and glorifying you can be the, the mission of our lives, the thing that we want to, that drives us and guides us, that it shapes every aspect of our lives and every sphere that we operate in. Father, help us want to bring glory to you. Father, I pray for those here today who don't yet know you. Those of us here in the room who maybe been burnt by church in the past or we have all these ideas about what culture says about who Jesus is. Father, I pray for them now that you draw them towards you. Father, thank you that if they lay their sin and their failure at the foot of the cross when we were all equal, our sin past, present, and future is forgiven. Father, I pray that we can go out this week and want to glorify you, but help us even as we leave today just marvel at your glory and your beauty for you are worthy. And Father, we long for the day that we get to praise you and bring glory to you for all eternity. And Father, we pray for all these things, not for our glory, but for your fame in our city. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. Amen.